you have your copy of God's Word, or if you want to take the Pew Bible, let's turn together to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, our text this evening will be verses 2 to 7, as we have been looking at different passages in Isaiah, really exploring the theme of Christmas in Isaiah. We have looked at Isaiah chapter 2 and and the mountain of the Lord uh, that will be a place that gathers the nations, the branch of the Lord as this this royal figure who comes uh, to, to lead his people to Zion. Uh, We looked at Isaiah 7 this past Sunday morning, uh, the sign uh, that we've already heard in our passage this morning or this evening from Matthew 1, the sign being fulfilled with Jesus. And this evening we come to Isaiah chapter 9 uh, and this child. Uh, What child is this that fulfills the signs that have been given to God's people so long ago? We'll hear a little bit more about that. But first, before we read God's word together, let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you as your people this evening, desiring to hear the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. Open our eyes of faith this evening that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, You have broken as on the day of Midian, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's pretty dark outside. When I wrote that sentence Tuesday morning, I didn't realize it was literally going to be dark outside because we have no lights on in the parking lot. Didn't realize we would be struggling to keep power, but it is dark outside, not just because of the time of night we're having our service, but it's dark outside. Here in our city, we've felt the darkness Someone I was talking with this week called our city Gotham, like from Batman, Gotham. That's how it feels. There's a kind of fear of each other. The guy who pulls up next to us at the gas station, the beggar on the street corner, the car with the dark windows that passes us while we're on a run. 
We have our head on a swivel, don't we? We know to get back home before it's too late at night. But even then, we sense this, this anger, this nihilism, this kind of gloom around us. It's pretty dark outside. Truth be told, it's, it's actually kind of dark inside. There's so many griefs and sorrows that we carry around with us. The, the death of a parent or a child. The abuse from a loved one. The, the deep and profound aloneness and forsakenness that we all too often feel. Our memories and our minds slipping away from us. Our heart disease and our cancer. And then when we look at our hearts, our subterfuges and self-deceptions, our lies and our longings, our impatience and impracticality, we wonder what's wrong with us. We can't seem to find our way forward. Through the confusion and gloom, it's, it's pretty dark inside. And, and when we're surrounded by this kind of darkness and gloom outside, inside, we wonder if there's any hope for us. We wonder if there's any hope for our worlds. Hope's what this time of the world tries to, what this time of the year the world tries to sell us, isn't it? Hope that our, our family visit will finally lead to reconciliation, that, that this time together will lighten the darkness just a little bit, that, that the present we give or receive will drive away our sadness just for a moment. But then the presents are all unwrapped and some of the toys are broken and, and the conversations that we hope we have, we just don't have them and, and hope begins to fade away and, and we know gloom. The gloom of after Christmas in January and it's the dark season. Listen to me. J- just because our human hopes are all too ready to fade, doesn't mean that it's wrong and foolish to hope. Rather, the hopes and dreams that that inevitably get stirred this time of the year, they actually are meant to lead you to solid joys and lasting treasures. And this passage of the Bible, it actually points us to the very things that we hope for. The deep down longings that each of us carry around with us, even if we can't name those longings. But this place in the Bible also tells us where we might find those hopes realized, where those longings might be met. There's three things this passage tells us particularly that we hope for. If you boil us down, if you were to try to, to get us to truly be honest this evening, most of us are longing for light instead of darkness. And joy instead of sorrow. And peace instead of conflict. And that's what this passage tells us about. I mean, look at verse 2. Right, what we open with. If your Bibles are still open, you see it there. The, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. What's this talking about? Who are these people who are veiled in darkness? What are these people? What are they like, these ones who who walk about in in deep darkness? Well, as we saw when we looked a little bit at Isaiah 7 this past Sunday, God's people have been warned about this 
coming world power named Assyria. Assyria was coming to the promised land, to Judah, to be God's razor, um, bringing shame upon God's people and, and destruction to the land. In fact, Assyria would be God's mighty and irresistible river that would sweep over Judah and come up to its very neck. And the result of this invasion would be darkness. Right at the end of the previous chapter, if you look at the very last verse of of chapter 8, verse 22, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, And they will be thrust into deep darkness. This is the world that God's people found themselves in. They were were in a place of veiled darkness. They lived in a land of deep darkness. God's people here, seemingly experiencing God's judgment. But notice, this darkness isn't the final word. In fact, God's judgment is never the final word. It's never the ultimate word that God brings judgment or, or curse or consequence. No, no, God's final word, God's ultimate word is, is salvation. God's final word and ultimate word is, is light. It's hope. So that those who are going through the darkest hour, they come to know great light Those who live in this land of deep darkness, they are basking, Isaiah says, in God's shining light. And that's what we long for. In the place of our darkness, in the dark worlds we find ourselves outside as well as the dark world we know inside, we hope and long for God's shining light. Light instead of darkness. But we also long for joy instead of sorrow. That's the keynote of verse 3. You see it? You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You hear those notes of joy, rejoice, joy, glad. What kind of joy is this that God's people might know? Well, Isaiah says, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. This joy is the, is the kind of joy we experience when there's newborn children or newborn grandchildren, when there's a growing family, a continuing legacy. What kind of joy is this? Isaiah says, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. This is the joy of a prosperous year a bountiful table, a great feast of thoughtfully chosen foods and well-chosen wines. What kind of joy is this? Isaiah tells you, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. It's the joy of a glorious victory. Perhaps you saw the pictures in the video from Argentina this past week as millions flooded the streets to celebrate their World Cup championship. That's the kind of joy here of dividing the spoil. And this is the joy we long for, isn't it? This is the joy we hope for. A joy that would actually overwhelm our sorrow. A joy that would actually drive back the darkness. That's what we long for. Joy instead of our sorrow, and light instead of our darkness, and peace 
instead of conflict. In verse 4, Isaiah looks and he sees the yoke of his burden and the raft, or staff for his shoulder and the rod for his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This peace instead of conflict, it's, it's the end of all physical oppression. A real yoke, a real bar, a real rod will be broken. We're mindful tonight of, of millions in Ukraine without power because of an unjust usurper who's invaded that land. And Isaiah looks forward to a day when that kind of physical oppression might be done away with forever. And all of, the, all of the military might and all of the soldiers' gear might be burned in the fire, never to be needed again. But this peace, this, this shalom, this wellness and whole being, it's not just physical. It's spiritual as well. All the spiritual oppression that the enemies might bring, all, all addiction and loss and sadness that sin and the devil and death itself might bring, it shall be crushed. Even more, this, this final peace, this ultimate peace, would be a lasting peace. It wouldn't be like the peace that Gideon won in his battle over Midian, where light shone in the darkness that night. The sword of the Lord and, and of Gideon, they cried. No, this, the peace that Isaiah looks forward to is a peace where there will be final shalom. No war should be known any longer. Not only the wars of nations, but wars of family and sibling and parent and children. All that should be put to rights again. Everything will be the way it ought to be. Now the things we long for, light and joy and peace instead of darkness and sorrow and conflict, that's, that's what we need. It's what we desire. It's what we sing about this time of the year. You know that's the case. If you just take a moment to, to listen to the songs that you sing, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, joy to the world, the Lord is come. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. We Sing these songs because we hope for light and life and joy and blessing and peace and love. But we know that these gifts that we long for, they're not under the tree. And they're not at the dinner table. And they're not in the laughter even of the family conversations that we've been having or will have over the next 24 hours. Now, where do we find these things for which we most desperately long? These things which we most hope for? Well, we find them in the one, in a person for whom we hope. We hope for a person, and Isaiah tells us this person is actually a child. To us, a child is born. In the two previous chapters in Isaiah's prophecy, children show up repeatedly. Uh, Isaiah, when he goes to meet King Ahaz at the beginning of chapter 4, takes along one of his children, Sheer Jashub. 
Um, This child whose name means a remnant shall return. He serves as a sign and a symbol for Ahaz. And then Isaiah makes a promise in Isaiah 7.14 that the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. And this child will have a name, Emmanuel, God with us. And then in the next chapter, the virgin does conceive. The prophetess bears Isaiah a child. And that child is given the name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. The name means to the wolf goes the prey. And these children serve as signs and symbols to Israel in that day. But, but here in Isaiah 9, Isaiah tells us plainly that there's an ultimate child, a, a final child, a true fulfillment of the sign, the one of whom we sing that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so I ask you tonight, what child is this that Isaiah promises? Well, he's a son. But he's not just any kind of son. No, he's he's the son of David. Verse 7 tells you on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He'll establish it and uphold it. He's a son of David, which means he's the fulfillment of, of all of the promises that God had made hundreds of years before to, to King David of Israel that his son would establish his throne over his people, his legacy forever. But from a political and historical perspective, King David only had one son who occupied his throne. His name was Solomon. And after Solomon's reign, the kingdom is divided and no one really occupies David's throne again. Never again would there be a united kingdom ruled by David's son. But but God's promise to David would be fulfilled. And God's promise to David was bigger than any kingdom called Israel in a place we know as Palestine. No, God's promise was that David's son would be a forever king, ruling over a forever kingdom. And that kingdom would encompass the entire world. And so what Isaiah sees here is a son upon whose shoulders the weight of government shall be placed. He he sees a son who would sit on David's throne to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. He sees a son that would bring global peace forever and ever. How is that even possible? How is it possible for there to be a human son, a son of David, who can bring about these things for which we most desperately long? Light and joy and ultimately peace. How is it possible? Well, it's only possible because this son of David is also the son of God. That's that's what the rest of verse 6 tells you. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These names tell you that he is more than, than a normal human being. No, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. That is a wonder of a counselor, one who is supernaturally wise. This one will always know the best means to the best ends. He'll be this mighty God, a a warrior God, one who's supernaturally powerful. He's the Lord of angel armies, and he rules with all power at his disposal. He's also known as the eternal father, one who is supernaturally compassionate, who's caring and forgiving 
patient. He rules with compassion and goodness. And he will be the prince who brings peace, supernaturally restoring. He comes with healing in his wings. Who is this kind of person who is supernaturally wise and powerful, supernaturally compassionate and restoring? No mere human. No, he must be God. He must be able to lean in fully to this name, Emmanuel, God with us. And so this child is both son of David and son of God, truly human and truly divine. One who establishes a global kingdom and who rules with truth and grace. So I ask you again, what child is this? Who is this one who brings light and joy and peace? Who can enter into your darkness and mine? Who can enter into your gloom and mine and bring us hope tonight? Several years ago in a small town in Utah, there was a new girl who had moved to town. And her name was Ruth. Her classmates didn't and wouldn't accept Ruth into their social circle. Her, her father was a laborer. They lived on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, she didn't have the nicest clothes and always brought the same thing to lunch to eat every day. And the children in her fifth grade class were horrible to Ruth. They, they mocked her clothes and they teased her and called her names. But, but when it came to the Christmas play, Ruth's classmates, they, they went too far. You see, Ruth had won the part of Mary. And so the rest of her classmates decided that if Ruth was going to be Mary, this was going to be the worst Christmas play ever. And so in practices, verses were sung out of order, lines spoken with sarcasm, stage directions were ignored. And when the teacher's backs were turned, the children made faces and mocked Ruth. And during the dress rehearsal, when Ruth sang her song, the, the boys behind her poked her in the ribs so that she struggled to get her breath. Finally, the music teacher had had enough. She said, you are the worst fifth grade class ever. This year, there will be no play. Well, at the school program, after the kindergarten and the other grades had performed, the music teacher said, instead of our usual nativity play, one of our fifth graders will sing a solo. And when the curtain opened, there was Ruth. She wore a white satin dress with a red sash. Her face glowed as she sang, What child is this who laid to rest in Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. At first, Ruth kept her eyes fixed on her parents, but gradually, as she gained confidence in her song and in herself, she sang louder. She lifted her head. She faced the audience. She faced her classmates and sang, This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. And abruptly she stopped. And she rushed off the stage after a breathless moment. In fact, the accompanist didn't even know she had left the stage. And for a few moments, no one moved. And then one and then another, people began to clap 
And they stood, and even her classmates joined in until the entire room was filled with applause. Why? Why, why was that song so powerful to them, to Mary, to sing, for, to Ruth, to sing that night? Because in the midst of her darkness, the deep darkness outside, perhaps the darkness inside, she'd come to know the child whose name is Jesus. The Jesus of whom we've already heard in the passage from Matthew. The Jesus whose birth we celebrate this night. Who can enter into your darkness? Who might give you hope this evening? Not the hope that marketers sell, but a real abiding hope that goes deep down inside you so that light and joy and peace might be yours. Who can do that? Well, Jesus can. Jesus can. And he will. If you would own him. If you would enthrone him tonight. So will you? Will you trust yet again in this Jesus Christ, the babe, the son of Mary? Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do ask that you would grant us such grace tonight that we might rest our hearts yet again in all that Jesus is for us, this one who is the child, this one who is the son of David and the son of God. Lord Jesus, we pray this night that you would meet with us and you would enter into us where we own you and enthrone you. We ask that you would do this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to